in Hosea chapter five and verse 10 is where I've been focusing, where of course it was a, it was a picture, this whole book of the fact that Israel was in this terrible cycle of loving the Lord, leaning on the Lord, then they would turn away from God, turn to false idols, come back to the Lord. And of course, that's why this whole book was initiated. The prophet, of course, marrying a harlot to give a picture of Israel and what's going on with Judah and Ephraim and how they forsake the Lord and she turned back to her old lifestyle and how that he went and bought her back. Aren't you glad that God's patient with us? I'm glad he takes us back. I'm glad he keeps paying, even when we do wrong. He'll always pay the price to reach us and to help us. And in the end, she's bought off the auction block by the one that really was her own anyway. And we're always, the Lord is our owner. Everything we have is because of him. But he just persistently follows us. And if you remember in the first sermons that I dealt with, the mystery of all of this is not that the prophet married a prostitute, it's that he loved the prostitute. And that, that's, that's the key to all of it. The fact that God still loves us, even when we don't like ourselves, he still loves us. But now they've returned again and God's trying to teach them another lesson. So when you get to verse 10, he said the princes of Judah were like them that remove the bound. And another way of wording that is that the boundary has been taken away or they have crossed the line. And that's really the series I've been looking at in these series of sermons is crossing the line. God will draw a line in the sand and say, don't cross that. You're going too far. And that's what's happened in this particular passage. So because they had crossed the line, God said in three different occasions in the next few verses, I will. God says, when you cross the line, I will do this. I will do this. And I will do this. Well, what are the three things? Well, first of all, he says in verse, in verse 12, will I, which is to say, I will be unto Ephraim as a moth. And that's where we left you on Sunday night. Dealing with the moth is a picture of first God will deal with us in our secret life. The moth is in the closet, in dark places. And we dealt a little bit with the moth and this particular moth and the background behind it and how that really with this we have a couple of choices. Either God will, uh, God will shake us or we will shake ourselves. And I'm glad that we had some folks that started shaking themselves. <laughs> Why do you shake? Because the moth lays the eggs on the nap of the garment of the material so the larva will have something to feed on when the larva, uh, when the, the uh, eggs are hatched, they have something to feed on, but the only way to get them out to dislodge those larva is a good shaking. So God says either you shake or I'll shake you. But God is merciful. See, he deals with the secret life first. He would rather, he would rather it not become something that's known to everybody else. He would rather us just do what's right. But then when you get to the next phrase, look in verse 14. I will 
be unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. So God says, first I'll deal with your, with your secret life. You don't see the moth, it's in dark places. But now, everybody knows and everybody can see a lion. So God says, if you won't get this right in the secret part of your life, then I will, I will deal with you on the next level. I'll deal with you on the social life. What can't be seen right now is what God's doing in each one of our heart. We can't see it. We don't know what it is, but God deals with us first privately. But he says, if you refuse, I will be like a lion and like a young lion, I will deal with you publicly. People will see it. See, it's one thing for you to, uh, to be dealt with on a private level and it's another thing for it to become public. But if you go long enough, be sure what you've done in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. Now, God doesn't want that to happen. No, that God, God's not, not pleased with the fact that he has to let things be revealed. The object of all of this is God wants us to live right and do right. And if we live right and do right, God won't have to do any of this. But if we don't take care of it secretly, privately, See, that's the pattern of the church. When someone sins, someone has done wrong, you go to them privately. And then if they don't respond to that privately, the next thing is you take somebody with you. And then if they refuse, you rebuke their sin before all. Now, for those of you that's been with me all of these years, you know good and well, I'll let stuff go for a long time, but if, if I feel like it's gonna damage the church, I'll give you a space of grace, but if you don't repent, I'll tell everybody on you. I mean, really, and that's what happened with Nathan, the prophet. Do you really think Nathan wanted to go to the king and say, thou art the man? But God says, somebody sooner or later has to stand up and put their finger in your face and say, you're guilty of that. So God would rather you secretly take care. But if not, he'll become like the lion or he'll become like the young lion. Now, that brings an interesting thought. What's the difference between a young lion and an old lion besides their age? Why does God specify two different categories here? A young lion and an old lion. Well, I think you find the answer to it in the Bible. That's where we should always get our source from. He's saying, first of all, here's how he'll reveal it publicly in your social life. As a young lion, I think the young lion is representative of Psalm 7-2 when the Bible says, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rendering it in pieces. Verse 14 says, I even I will tear and go away. Did you know the difference between a young lion and an old lion? A young lion tears its prey. An old lion eats its prey. So a young lion, they can tell by the attack. If, if a lion attacks a, a human, 
They can tell by the wounds that's on the individual whether the lion was young or old if the individual can't respond by looking at the, at the wounds because the young lions, they don't know how to attack the vital spots. They don't know where to bite. An old lion, when it gets to it, the old lion will hit the back of the neck, sever the spinal cord to immediately paralyze the victim and then eat the victim, eat its prey. So the young lion will tear you up. God said, if you don't get this right, I'm gonna tear some things to pieces. I'm gonna tear your little house up. I'm gonna tear your playground up. God says, I'm gonna step in. I'll tear your dreams up. I'll tear your plans up. I'll tear your ambitions up. I'll tear all of the, all of the goals that you have. I'll tear it all up. Now, it's not that God wants to punish you. God would rather us live right and do right. But if we think that it's always going to be secret from here on out, it may be a long time, but it will tear us up. Then also, there's something else that the Bible teaches us about the lion. In Numbers 23, 24, it really describes more of the old lion. It says, behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion, which is an old lion. And what shall the old lion do? He shall not lay down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. Now, as a young lion, we see him tearing apart. As the old lion, we see him tearing, stalking the prey. Is that not what it says? He says he shall not lay down until he eat of the prey. Do you know old lions hunt different than young lions? They stalk the prey. They get down low and they will take as long as it takes to get the prey. Get this right. God will let us go a long way, but however long it takes and whatever it takes, he gonna catch up with us. Why does God tarry? Mercy. It's not that he's wanting to destroy us. He would rather us repent and do what's right. But he's saying, if you do not do what's right, God will wait as long as he has to wait, but eventually he will strike. So we see the young lion and the old lion. So you have the moth. God says, if you cross the line and don't repent of it and get back in line, he said, first, I'll deal with your secret life. If you don't respond in your secret life, then I'll deal with you in your social life. It'll become public. But the worst thing to me is the third thing. It's at the end of the 14th verse. He said, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. And here it is. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Well, what's that mean? 
Do you want me to tell you what's a hundred times worse than facing a lion? Spiritual abandonment. God's anointing and God's spirit leaving you. Verse 15, read it with me. I will go and return to my place. God says, I'll leave you. Boy, no shout now, is there? Well, what's that deal with? God says, first I'll deal with your secret life. Then if that doesn't work, then I'm going to deal with your social life. And the third thing is I'm going to deal with your spiritual life. He will spiritually withdraw from us. Now, what's so sad about that is when God spiritually withdraws from people, they are so well-tuned at what they do and they're so good at what they do, they will still sing and raise their hand at the right time and they will still preach and get loud on the same points. They'll still act like they're rejoicing. They'll still sing but there's no spiritual harmony. The Bible says we're to sing not only hymns, but spiritual songs to the Lord. They'll sing, but there's no spirit in them. Their spiritual life. Why, preacher, is that Bible? Absolutely. When King Saul disobeyed God, you cannot deny the fact God would have rather them not to have even had a king. God wanted to be their king, but God gave them the desire of their heart and allowed them to have a king. And when he gave Israel a king, he anointed Saul to be the king. But Saul disobeyed God. God told him to destroy the enemy. But he he not only refuses to destroy the king Agag, but also he has these sheep and these belongings that he's brought back as spoils. And the prophet says to him, what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And he said, oh, we have kept them to offer them in sacrifice. He said, that's not what God commanded you. God commanded you to kill them and destroy their goods. He said, no, you're not. That obedience is better than sacrifice. It's not very long until you read that sad phrase found in 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Whoa, 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 preacher. You mean God, God creates evil spirits? No, that's not what it means. The evil spirits was there. God took the boundary down. Do you know what keeps the devil from getting you? God. Do you know who it is that kept disease from destroying you today? God. Do you know who it is that kept the enemy away from you today? God, when the devil tried to send that car left of center to hit you head on and kill you, do you know who it was that took care of you? It was God. 
God takes the hedge down, the enemy comes in like a flood. God says, you want to do it your way, I'll let you. Oh, I've seen a lot of them do it their way. They have big bank accounts, big budgets, big bills. It's big business. But I tell you what they don't have, they don't have a thimble full of the power of God on them. This church can operate without the greatest in entertainment. This church can operate without me. This church can operate without you. It's God's church. This church can operate if maybe things aren't structured just exactly right with every I being dotted and every T being crossed because people are doing it as under the Lord. But I want to tell you one thing. This church can't operate without the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Preacher, you can go ahead and preach and you can act emotional. But you know in your heart. Singer, you can go ahead and sing and it looked fine but you know in your heart. If there is no anointing, there is no spiritual teaching, there is no spiritual preaching, there is no spiritual singing, there is no spiritual testimonies, there is no blessings, there will be no shouting, there'll be no running the aisle, There'll be no rejoicing. There'll be no eagerness to come to church. Do you know why people, people that are saved, do you know why that they dread coming to church? Their spiritual life is not right. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but I have to be blunt. And the truth of the matter is, if your heart is right, It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through. The presence of God is there and God will raise you up. God said, I will withdraw from you. Samson thought, I can do it my way. I'll do it the way I want to. But finally, finally, he gave the secret of his heart to Delilah. And when he gave the secret of his heart to Delilah, she got his hair. And it wasn't just that the hair was his strength. It was his vow to God that he led upon. And when he broke his vow to God, he suddenly realized when they awakened him, he arose as at times before. In other words, he was a well-oiled machine. He knew when to get up. He knew what to do. He knew how to do it. But suddenly he realized the strength of God and the spirit of God had departed from him. And the Bible says, Samson, wish not that the Lord had departed from him. There is a point where God's not going to put up with people's foolishness. Oh, you can go ahead, have your way, do it the way you want, but God won't be in the middle of it. I don't know how you feel about it, 
but I'd rather have God's anointing and God's presence. (laughs) I'd rather have that as anything in this world. Churches all across this country, they don't even have Wednesday night service. People don't show up. A preacher asked me a couple weeks ago, said, why do you think people don't come to church? I said, well, if I didn't enjoy it anymore and what they do, I wouldn't go anymore and what they do either. But now, if you enjoy being with God's people and you enjoy the presence of God, when you can't be there, there's something inside of you the whole time wondering what's going on. Did you catch Mark's testimony? He couldn't be here because of work but he stayed in tune with the servant. What makes somebody do that? Why, they're working, they're on a break, on a job, and of all the things they could be doing instead of eating egg salad, they're tuned into the service. Why? Because there's a craving inside of them. More of God, more of God, more of God, more blessings, more power, more help, more souls saved, more people seeing their needs met. Lord, we want more of you than we've ever experienced before. Are you closer to God tonight? in your spiritual life or are you farther away? I don't know, you know that. I know one thing, I sure don't wanna try to get up here and do this without the help of the Lord. Oh God, I need you, God, I need you. Oh Lord, I need you. Oh glory to God, Jamie, you don't wanna do what you're doing without the help of the Lord. You sure don't. You ask her if it makes a difference. You go to the bedside of somebody that hasn't responded in three or four days and a family has called you saying, will you please try to do something to win them to Jesus? And you're totally dependent on the spirit of God to first wake them up and then bring conviction to them and then save their soul. There won't be none of that happening when God returns to his place. Preacher, what if that has happened? What do I do? Well, where's his place? That's the question. Where is his place? If you want his presence, he's saying, you've just expected me to go along. But now if you want my presence and you want my help, you're gonna have to come to me. Well, in the Old Testament, where was he at on this earth? There was a place called the holiest of holies that sat behind a veil. And when the blood was offered on the mercy seat, the glory of God came down and God dwelt on that mercy seat. Where's his place? You'll find him on the mercy seat. You come and you plead mercy. You say, I'm guilty, Lord. I know I'm guilty and I need your help and I can't do it without you. I want you to help me. 
we've got some real battles going on in this church. Real battles. Our people need some help. And it's going to take spiritual people that's got their secret life right and their social right life to be right spiritually to help these people. 